today we're going to continue our series on the very good news, not just the good news, the very good news. Um, Mark chapter 1 verse 15. If you read the book of Mark, the very first thing that Jesus said in the book of Mark was this. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. The word good news there is the word gospel. Um, gospel is, means very good news. It, it literally means good news. That's what the word means. Gospel means good news. And it doesn't refer to news like, hey, I've I got a bargain online in those new shoes. It's, it's not talking about that news. Or even front news of the paper. The Crows finally won a match. Yeah. It's a miracle. Because that news we know is going to change next week, right? Back to the bottom of the table. But the, the, the term good news means news that actually changes everything, that changes the world. Uh, and the world is a different place. It's not, you know, fake news. It's news that changes everything. So, to give an example, it's 1945. You're an Australian soldier in a prisoner of war camp in Singapore. You know, slavery, virtually torture, abuse, sickness, um, starving. And then you hear the news, the war is over. And, you know, it goes throughout Europe as well. And in, in, in Melbourne, in Sydney, I think, was this pick. Who remembers that pic? Guy dancing in the streets. It's like it, it went over the world and there was, there was that sort of celebration everywhere. And the world literally changed at that point. Countries changed, borders changed, uh, immigration changed. Uh, not soon after that, Israel became a nation. Um, so much changed at that point. The world was different at that point. Uh, so that's, that's what this term means. Good news, gospel means the sort of news that changes everything. And uh, it's like a proclamation, a, an announcement. And in New Testament times, Israel was waiting for the promised Messiah, living under the weight of hundreds of years of uh, either being in exile or having people rule over them, different countries. And it was prophesied that God himself will come and be their king. That's what they were waiting for, the Messiah. will come and be their saviour, will restore Israel. But not just Israel, this saviour king was going to gather the, the whole world. It, it was going to be different. I promised throughout the Old Testament and right leading up to Jesus. And Jesus was announcing that this thing is actually happening. If we read that scripture we just read in the Passion Translation, one Mark 1 verse 15, it says this. His message was this, and this is what Jesus was saying. At last, the fulfillment of the age has come. It's time. The realm of God's kingdom is to be experienced in its fullness. Turn your lives back to God and put your trust in the hope-filled gospel. So that's, you know, we, we often read those other, you know, the... the, the um, you know, repent and believe the good news, and it bec it's become this sort of poetry. But this is what they were hearing. This sort of thing is what the people were hearing. And this was played out in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. So we can all know God, not just the Jews, but all humanity, and we can all come to know him. 
and be part of this big plan that we could have eternal life. Eternal life isn't just sitting on the cloud forever. Jesus described eternal life as in John, 3, John 17, verse 3. He said, and this is eternal life. You ready? That you might know God and know me. It's about knowing God. And when we know God, when we connect with God, guess what happens? Forgiveness, restoration, deliverance, all those things which we are part of the Christian walk come when we connect with God. And that's, that's the good news. Um, let's go back to Mark 1.15, the original one. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. So Jesus said we should repent and believe because the good news needs a response. Have you ever heard incredibly good news but didn't believe it? Didn't respond to that news. Let me tell you about Hiro Ananda. Can we put Hiro up? There he is. Who recognises him? No one? Let me tell you about Hiro. He's 20 years old. He was called up to the Japanese army in 1944. Sent to an island in the Philippines. And his commanding officer said, it's absolutely forbidden for you and your company of soldiers to take your own life. And it might be one year, it might be three years, it might be five years, but we're going to come back and get you. So Horando Hero, sorry, Hero and his mates, they stayed in the Philippines. And uh, the island was taken by the Allies. And after the battle, you know, this, his group was sort of split up into three groups. And, um, and after some fighting, only Hero, Hero, I don't know if I'm even pronouncing that right. And three of his mates landed. And 1945 come, and that man was dancing on the streets, and they didn't know about it. They're, they're in the mountains on this island in the Philippines. And after a while, the Filipinos got sick of them shooting at them. So what they did, they got a plane and they dropped leaflets. It was a Boeing, uh, uh, what was it, Boeing... B-17 dropping leaflets saying the war is over, the war is over. But they couldn't believe the good news. See, he thought it was Allied propaganda because his commander said he was going to come back. And the more leaflets were dropped and over the, over the next you know, year or so, and even newspapers from Japan, photos of, of his loved ones, letters... Delegates from Japan went through the jungle with loudspeakers saying, you know, the war's over. Give up. But they thought it was Allied propaganda. Uh, after about five years, one of the three left decided to surrender and he sort of walked out without telling the other two guys. But they stayed there. And uh, in 1972... One of the other guys was killed and only this guy remained. He was pretty good at hiding. He'd been there for 27 years at that point in time. And in 1974, uh, uh, a Japanese student, Mr Suzuki was his name, decided to travel the world and he wanted to do three things as he travelled the world. He wanted to see a panda, he wanted to find the abominable snowman and he wanted to find Hiro. So he travelled to the island in, in the Philippines and, and searched and literally thousands of people had tried tw and 29 years now 
but he found his dwelling and he found him and he tried to convince him to come back and he's no so what this student did he went back to japan and found his old commanding officer selling books in a bookstore said come on so he took him with him he finally convinced him that the war was over to believe the good news and he surrendered to president marcos can we put this next here he is he still hid this finally that's his uniform he had sometime he, he kept it pristine pristine and he surrendered over his sword back in 1975 on the 30th of march 30 years after the end of the war wow you ever been stuck in another time didn't believe the good news held captive by what you believe because you didn't realize the, that that things have changed the world has changed causing havoc with everybody around him he was always stealing cows and shooting shooting at people i wonder how many people have heard the good news but not believed it i wonder how many have misinterpreted the good news i think there's lots of those if the gospel is not presented as very good news that talks about the love and the grace of God, then it's not good news. It's news, but it's not good news. It's something else. It's a misrepresentation. And this series is to challenge us to think fresh about the good news because it's bigger than you think. And the good, write this down, the good news is gooder than you think. It is. It's gooder. It's not just a formula to get to heaven. It's how God is redeeming the whole world. Somehow, even all creation. It says in Colossians 1 verse 19 and 20. Can we put this up? God in his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. Next verse. And through him, through Christ, God reconciled everything to it. Everything? everything to himself he made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of christ's blood on the cross hey that's bigger than you realize that's more than just getting you to heaven this is a this is a whole creation thing that's happening let's just pray lord i, I pray as we look at the next part of this word lord that you'll give us all revelation encourage us in jesus name amen and so this good news requires a response. And according to Mark, we read, it means to repent and believe. What does that mean? What does it mean to repent and believe? I believe we have a problem with the word repent. When you think of the word repent, what comes to your mind? Uh, according to the English dictionary, it's, this is repent, if you look it up in your Google or somewhere, to express sincere regret or remorse about one's wrongdoing. Repent in another dictionary to feel very sorry for something bad you have done in the past and wish you haven't done it. It comes from the word penance. And it's become a very religious word. That might be the English definition of repent, but it's not the biblical definition of repent. Let me explain. Uh, it's sort of strayed away from the meaning. It's got touches of it, but it's got like about 5% of what this means. What does the word repent mean? The problem when we talk about repent is that people think of street preachers like, we put this guy, 
repent to Jesus or burn with in capital letters. Who's ever seen one of them? So if you ever see one of them, you need to repent, which means turn around and go the other way. For so many people, the concept of repentance is to do with punishment. But what do we read in Mark chapter 1, verse 15? Let's put it up again. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Am I supposed to be sad or happy? Sad because I'm repenting or happy because I believe good news? Which one is it? Uh, Am I dancing or am I crying? Jesus' message was not repent because hell looms. It was repent because the kingdom is near. That was the message. There's a huge difference between the two. Repentance gets you closer to living the life God has for you. The kingdom of God here on earth. Hey, you might have prayed it at some point in time. Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's, not, that's just not poetry. Let's talk, that's a prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, the main prayer. And, and I sort of tried to study this out and I searched the whole Bible and I could not find one scripture at all that mentions hell and repent in the same verse. Not one I know of. Now, if you find one, you can show me, but that's, that's fine. Most of them, are, or just about all of them, are repent and get near to God. That's what it's talking about. The motivation and goal of repentance is not to avoid something, but to come closer to something. It has a purpose, so we will believe and we'll follow. Um, so, so if you look through your Bible, if you did some study, you'll find there's a couple of Old Testament words that use are translated as repent. And one talks about emotions. Sometimes it's sadness or sorrow. Sometimes it's uh, compassion and mercy said that God repented and it's talking about his compassion. Other words, other times it's used, it means a change of mind. And your Bible might use the word relent or repent or change of mind or return or something like that. When referring to Israel, it always talks about turning back to God. In fact, most of what you read about repentance was Israel, they turned away, you need to turn back to God. It was never referred to the nations to repent, only Israel, because they... They were told, to, hey, you need to love God with all your heart and soul. You're turned away, you're following other idols, you're uh, um, mistreating the poor. It was a returning. Um, the same term is used in, in relation to God quite a bit. Quite a bit it says God repented. Well, obviously he didn't repent from sin, did he? So what does it mean? Often it says he changed his mind or he would not change his mind. That's, that's what it was saying. Or he had compassion on someone, so he's going to come. It was a change of thought. For instance, Exodus, or maybe Psalm 110, the Lord was, has sworn and he will not change his mind. Of course, the King James uses the word repent because that's the word. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So I'm not going to change my mind on that. And other times, the Lord did change his mind about the terrible disaster that was threatened. So... This word um, talks about sometimes a feeling, sometimes sadness, sometimes compassion, sometimes mercy. And, and mostly it talks about changing the way we're thinking. If you jump to the New Testament, there's a word there 
we translate as repent. It's metanoah. Why don't you say that? Metanoah. 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 And it really means to think about and, and to change. And the word in our text, let's put it up again, Andrew, is metanoah. And it means to consider something, reconsider your way, consider a new way and follow that path. You know, that's sort of what it means. You know, Martin Luther, any, ex, any Lutherans here or ex-Lutherans, there's a, there's a couple around the place, he, he really didn't like this translation to repent. He got really wild with it because it's come from the word penance and it had this thought that you had to do something, beat yourself up. He wanted to use a, like a different word. The word at the time was not a religious word. It was a use, word used in the everyday language. And uh, we've made it religious and changed its or narrowed its meaning. And it's, you know, it's, it's worth considering if you were uh, around at Jesus' time, you know, walking through the fields of Galilee, how would you be using this word? Metanoah. What's, um, well, there was a guy called Josephus. Anyone heard of Josephus? It's not Joseph, Josephus. He actually wasn't a Christian. He was a historian at the time. And he wrote a lot about the Christians and Jesus and what they were doing. And he, he's one of these guys who sort of talked about society and he was writing it down. And um, he's, he's quite famous, actually, one of the most respected historians. And he gives us a little bit of insight into this term because he was trying to convince this, this guy who was a rebel or warlord not to go down the path of bloodshed, to overthrow the Romans. And he was trying to convince him to... to to, to follow Josephus' plan, which was a different plan, a better strategy. And when you read Josephus' work, he says, he says to this warlord, you need to repent and believe in me. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? And what it meant was, you need to give up your way of doing things and follow my way of doing things. So this is what this term means. So when Jesus said, repent and believe in me, he didn't actually mean have a sad religious experience at the time or beat yourself up. He meant you're going the wrong way. Turn around because God is doing a new thing. And if you want to be part of what God is doing, you need to give up your way and come my way. And uh, the focus on this thing called repentance is not meant to be on what I'm doing wrong. It's about what God has done right. That's where the thinking is meant to be repent and believe that's where our focus it's not on such a wretch i am woe is me a sinner i must repent the focus is on the good news the focus is on the good news not the bad news repent change your thinking and believe about his goodness not my badness now sometimes repentance is used in when it comes to sin and that's probably mainly why we think of it or a habit or a practice. And at, and at one point, if you read 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul's written to this church and they were up to all sorts of mischief. Church which, which was getting drunk around communion. No chance of that today, is there? A church that was, you know, it was sexual immorality all through the place. And he wrote them a fairly severe letter. And it says it caused them sorrow, and that sorrow caused them to repent because of that sorrow. 
And um, Paul said, I'm glad my letter caused you some pain so that you would repent and change your ways. And he talks about having sorrow in repentance. Now, repentance obviously can have sorrow. Imagine if you really were treating your family harshly and badly because you grew up and that's all you ever knew and then you realise the goodness of God. You'd have sorrow for what had happened. And that's normal and, and that's, 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 that's part of repentance. That's part of, of, the, of the healing process, I suppose. But someone who cries at the altar but does not change hasn't repented. You can be sorry, sorry but not repent. Like Judas was sorry that he betrayed God through the money on the floor. It uses a similar word to, to metanoia, but it's slightly different. And it means to be sorrowful, but he didn't turn to Jesus. What did he do? He killed himself. So it's not, you know, it's, sorrow is not, not the key. So let's make sure, make clear what repentance is. A change of thinking followed by a change of direction. Tears might be there or they might not be there. Always involves God's forgiveness and his restoration. We need to repent and believe, otherwise it's only half the job. They work in tandem. Who's heard of the rich young ruler? Anyone heard of him? The rich young guy. He's, he's in Luke 18. He was a pretty good catch, ladies. He had lots of money. He was really good. He was very moral. He was like the poster boy. And uh, he was the guy when he went to like a big church, all, all the girls thought that God told him that he'd be their husband. He was that guy. All of them. So here he is, and he comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus liked the guy, but he knew what had his heart, and it was money. He, so he said to the guy, you're doing pretty good, but why don't you give up, sell all you have and follow me? So what did the guy do? He went away sad, sad, but no repentance. The very next chapter after Luke 18, which is Luke, help me out, 19, that's it. Is a guy called Zacchaeus. Anyone ever heard of Zacchaeus? He's a little guy up in the tree. You might have heard about him. Jesus says, come down, we're going to your place for dinner. And he goes, Jesus goes to his place for dinner and he has all his mafia mates with him because they're tax collectors, which were the mafia of the day. All the people in the town are saying, what is Jesus doing there? Jesus has his encounter with Zacchaeus. And without even requesting anything, Zacchaeus says this, Lord, Lord, here, I will give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody, I'll repay them back four times the amount. He's pretty happy. That's repentance. He had an encounter with Jesus which changed him and that, that, that caused the change of war. So the rich young ruler was sad, no repentance. Zacchaeus was happy but repented. I think it's worth noting that repentance happened after he met the grace of Jesus, it was a response to the good news. It wasn't something I need to do to earn God's gaze. It's a response. I think we need to reclaim repentance. It's all about who is leading us, who is king, who is the Lord. The time is fulfilled. 
the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. It's about the king. Repent and believe. Who is the king? Now, I think repentance isn't a one-off event. It's the lifestyle. Romans 12 verse 1 is a famous verse 1 and 2. Can we put that up? And so, dear brothers and sisters, this is Paul speaking to the, or writing to the church in Rome, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he or God will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Now look, and then verse 2, this is important. Don't copy the behaviour and customs of the world, but let God transform you by what? Into a new person? By changing the way you think. Your Bible might say by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing and perfect. If you've got a King James Bible, it'll say, then you will prove what the will of God is, which I think is awesome. Everyone's trying to find what the will of God is. This guy looks back and proved, hey, I've been walking in the will of God. Why? Because I've been living a life of worship and a life of repentance, allowing God to transform my mind. I don't have to try and discover what the will of God is. I look back and discover I've been walking in it. That's a powerful principle. So how? A life of worship. Not a Sunday worship, a life of worship. As he speaks to us, as God speaks to us, we allow him to change our thinking. The word transform is is where we get the word metamorphosis from. This magical thing that happens to a butterfly in that cocoon in its own time. As a kid, I remember I once tried to help the butterfly out. Not good. It didn't end well. You've got to trust the process sometimes. It doesn't look good from the outside, but what's happening is good. A lifestyle of worship and repentance. Uh, the concept of repentance is all through the New Testament. It's a lifestyle transformed to be like Jesus. We need to embrace it and practice it. If you want to get closer to God, repentance is your friend. Now, sometimes, change of mind, a change of action. Sometimes it's a 180-degree change. Sometimes it's a 90-degree change. But i found now it's often a 5-degree change. I was going this way and God's given me a nudge. And say... It makes it, those five degree changes are really important. Oh, it's not much. Well, if you're a pilot and you set your uh, plane to five degrees off and you're going to Melbourne, you're not going to Melbourne anymore. You're going somewhere. Those little changes change our destination. They're important. That's repentance. We listen and we turn. Hey, repentance includes changing the way you think about yourself. That's a good start. That you are precious, you are forgiven, you're God's own, lining up with what God says. It's what you think about other people. Love one another as I love you. Make allowances for one another's faults. Who's got that on their fridge as their favourite scripture? Have compassion for one another. Build up one another, equip one another. Every time we hear his voice, we listen, we think about it, and we respond. That's repentance. You know what a big part of repentance is? Something called obedience. Isn't that a great word? Kids love that word. It's, it's responding. It's lining our life up. How do, how do we do this? Well, you know, 
God's always speaking to you. He will be speaking to you today through this message, not because I'm clever, it's because God's always speaking to us when someone opens the word. He'll be speaking to you through your own study or your own devotion. He'll be speaking to you through the encouragement of others. The Holy Spirit has an inner voice which is speaking to you. There's lots of ways God's going to speak to you and he's looking for a response. The person who built the house upon the rock was the person who heard the word and did. Sometimes it's worth doing it deliberately. What do I mean? Who prays and, and talks a lot? In the Bible, uh, the, particularly in the Old Testament, one of the biggest parts of prayer was actually listening. Listening. That's not, that's not coming to go with a shopping list. That's coming to go with a notepad and uh, allowing him to speak to us. Having a prayer of inner reflection where we listen more. Psalm 139 is an awesome psalm. I often rip it out at uh, baby dedications. You formed me in my mother's womb. You you knew me before I was formed. You know how many hairs are on my head, all that sort of stuff. God knows us intimately. He knows all about us. He knows our path. Right at the end of that psalm in verse 25 and 26, David prays this, Psalm 139. He says, Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test and know my anxious thoughts. Who's ever had one of them? Next verse. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. That's such a cool prayer. That's a prayer of repentance. That's that's saying, God, how's how's it all going? Do I need a tune-up? Do I need a five-degree change? Do I need a 180-degree change? And sometimes we do that deliberately where, you know, God speaks to us, but sometimes we invite him to speak to us. And that's a lifestyle of repentance. So I I think we need maybe three things. Can we have, uh, we might finish with a song, I'm going to grab the guys. A listening ear, a listening ear. You know, listen to God. Purposely listen. The second thing we really need is this. It doesn't doesn't work without this. Humility. You know what humility says? Well, I might be wrong. I might be what? Wrong. Who remembers Fonzie? Anybody? Had a trouble saying he was wrong. Because unless you admit that you might be wrong... You're not going to be open to change. God gives grace to the humble but opposes the proud. Just humility. A listening ear, humility. And the last one is a willingness to obey. When Jesus said, follow me, I reckon he was walking and the guy had to actually follow. Required some steps. And... uh, I think repent and believe the good news isn't just a moment. It is a moment where we perhaps first realise the goodness and the grace of God. But to me, it's like an everyday. Repent and believe. Follow me. The time of God's kingdom has come. Don't wait till tomorrow. 
don't wait. It's not about when you get to heaven. It's actually, it's coming now, he said. The kingdom of God wants to come in your life. He wants you to take the kingdom of God uh, to every part. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the gift of repentance. I thank you for the good news. Lord, uh, we, we pray that prayer that David prayed in Psalm 139, that search our hearts, show us anything that we need to adjust, point out the things that, that just don't line up with your kingdom, Lord, the things that maybe even offend you. Lead us on the way you want us to go, the way of eternal life. We thank you, Lord. I, I think, I pray that we'll be a church who understands this part of the good news that when we encounter Jesus like Zacchaeus says we'll be motivated by love not by guilt or anything like that but motivated by the goodness of God of, of following Jesus we'll portray that when we talk about the good news Lord with people thank you Father thank you Lord